Yeah, awesome. I'm stoked. I'm excited. Thanks for the, the, the welcome, man. That's great. Yeah, Brittany was one of the first people we met ever at Challenge. She's an OG. She invented these gangsta hits. So that's, don't, this is the thanks she gets. So I want to start with something really, really profound, okay? Um, Facebook ads are creepy. <laughs> okay? Am I right? Can I get an amen? Okay. Okay, they know way too much. They, I'm convinced they can even read your mind. Okay? They, they just know. I was thinking about getting these pair of shoes, and I, they showed up on my feed like 40 times. It was insane. Um, and so we, my friends and I, a few of my friends and I, we started this thing called the Roaring Twenties Fast. And it was this basically fasting is a spiritual discipline where you withhold food or some other type of thing. And we started it, and our goal was to get a million people to pray and fast for the Roaring Twenties, the 2020, starting there. And um, we didn't get, I don't know if we got a million, okay. <laughs> but, but it was like, it became like this worldwide movement where we got all these people fasting and praying. And it's been this really cool thing in my life and growing deeper in my walk with God. But I think Satan was worried because I saw this Facebook ad right there. Taco Bell, man. And I, they, and I love those Mountain Dew freezy things. Those things... So I just had to say, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I rebuke you, Satan, okay? You know, I just had to do some battle right there. Facebook also has been showing me all these ads for these things called pods, okay? They're not AirPods. They're, they're, they're pods. They're, they're, they're almost, they, they're, the biggest theme of the ad is they're almost as good as AirPods. They would show a real AirPod right next to um, the pods, okay? <laughs> and nothing, no diss if you have pods, but, but it, for me, because I, maybe I clicked, I watched the video one time, and now it's just constantly pods. And I, I have a pair of, of real AirPods. I sound so presumptuous, but um, I almost always lose them. So I, maybe that's why I'm checking out those things. But I think a lot of us, we settle for a faith that is almost as good as the real thing. And in this series in 1 John, we're going to be talking about how you can have a real faith, not an imitation faith, not almost as good as the other. And in 1 John, John is writing to a church that is faced with false teachers, people teaching wrong things about Jesus. He is also faced with a church that's struggling with sin and struggling with division, and the people are not very wholehearted in their devotion to Christ. And when I was thinking about that, I realized that is exactly what American Christianity is today. American Christianity is a bunch of people living half-heartedly for Christ, and American Christianity is also a, a bunch of people that are teaching false doctrine, false truths, things that aren't true, false truths, <laughs> okay? Th things that are not true about the gospel. If you go to the average bookstore, you guys know those things called bookstores. There's real books in there. And you go in there, and you go to the Christian section. It'll be really small. And you pick out the first book. It's going to be whackness. Okay, I made up a word. Okay, whackness it is going to be just not most likely the average Christian book is not going to be teaching truth. And so that's why we need to go to the book 
the book of books, God's word, to go and see what it says about who Jesus is and what a real Christian is. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into what 1 John says. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your love for each one of us. I pray that you would speak to each of us right where we're at, and that you would help make my words clear and understandable. And you would fill me with your spirit and enable me to just proclaim how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My children, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I love that. He's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What things is he talking about? He's talking about what we talked about last week in 1 John 1. If you missed that week, that's okay. We have a podcast. You can go back and check out the podcast, or you can just tonight read 1 John 1. We basically just taught straight out what it said in 1 John 1. And what John was saying in that first chapter was Jesus forgives all of our sin. Jesus, the motivation to not sin is because you are forgiven of all sin. God can forgive you of all your sins. And then he also, in 1 John 1, he motivated his readers to walk in the light, to be real, to be open and honest, to be, don't try to fake the Christian life. Try to be real about who you are, and that's when you're really going to start living in victorious. Because the greatest motivation for following God is knowing how much his grace can be poured into your life, how much he can love you. And so I love that. And then the next phrase I think is interesting in this is, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I want you to circle the word advocate. That's not a word we use very much anymore. At least I don't. I, when's the last time you used the word advocate? I don't know. It's, it's not. So here, in, advocate in Greek is parakletos, um, one who pleads another's cause before a judge, a counsel for defense, legal assistant, and intercessor. So an advocate speaks for the rights of his or her, her clients, kind of like a lawyer, okay? Kind of like a lawyer. So Jesus is the lawyer. I can picture Jesus dressed up in like this dapper suit. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be great. He would be a legit lawyer. When you think of Jesus, though, that a lawyer is not the first thing I think of, honestly. That is not what I think of. But God, in this, in this passage, Jesus, it, we're, we're painted this picture of the Father is the judge, and Jesus is standing, and he is appealing to the Father on, on your behalf. He is basically saying, it's okay, he's with me. Here's what I could picture Jesus saying. Father, I know this person has sinned and violated our, our commands. He is guilty as charged. However, you have said that my sacrifice is sufficient payment for the debt he owes. I have paid the price so that he can be pronounced not guilty. There is no debt left for him to pay. I love that. Jesus, if you're going to have anyone standing pleading your case before the, the judge... Man, it's Jesus. It better be Jesus because he's the only one that is going to provide that way for you to be forgiven. Here's another way that I love to wrap my mind around this concept. I went to this huge Christian concert. It was probably like 
50,000 people. And it was some of the best Christian artists that you can imagine. And I got to go into the green room, okay? I got to see some of these people that I listened to all their music. And I got to see, so see, here's some of my bros I was hanging with. See, anyone recognize? Name, yell out a band that you see. Triply, okay. A few, if you don't know, that's okay. If you know, you know, okay. So, but I, you know, so I was like, hey, buddy, haven't seen you in a long time. I was playing it really cool and chill. No, I was like the worst fanboy out there. I, I went straight up to my favorite, some of my favorite rappers, Triply and KB, and I was like geeking out, and I took this selfie with them. I know why you're laughing. Look how not cool I look compared to them. Oh, it's just bad. So why do I tell you that? What's my point? The reason I got in the green room is not because I have clout. It's because I have a friend that has clout, okay? And he was like, bro, I'm going to let you in, and we're going to meet some cool people. Just don't act too crazy. And I haven't been invited back since. But, <laughs> but that is the same thing with Jesus. Heaven is a perfect place. And we get into heaven based on Christ's VIP ticket. It's impossible for us to get in without following and knowing Christ. So the next $1,000 word in this passage here, find the word propitiation. Okay? If anyone has said the word propitiation today, I will give you $5. Anyone? You said the word? Okay, I thought I was safe. You actually did? Okay. Okay, I was going to. Okay. <laughs> Propitiation in Greek is hilosmos, to appease, to satisfy the demands of justice. Jesus is not just our advocate. He's our propitiation. He paid the penalty. This is a judicial word that is talking about how Jesus paid the, the death penalty, the penalty that we deserved for our sins. And it says, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is heavy. But to really grasp the importance of this, you have to grasp the concept of God's wrath. And I know God's wrath is not a concept that people like, or it's not very popular, but it's in the Bible, and it's real. And actually, you wouldn't want a God that wasn't angry at sin. Okay, when you think about the sex traffickers, you think about all this, this horrible stuff that's going on in the world, we want a God that is mad at that. Okay, and God is angry at sin, not because, but because he's holy. God is holy and he cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. And also sin, one of the main reasons God hates sin so much is because it hurts us. It hurts us and it hurts others. And so God has this anger and wrath against sin. I didn't, you didn't think you'd come to hear this tonight, huh? This, he has this anger at sin. But, but here's what, what happened. Romans 2, 5. This is more of the bad news here, but it's going to get good. Don't worry. But because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of, on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans 2, 5. David Platt, in a great book called Radical, he, he explains it this way. What happened at the cross was not primarily about nails being thrust into Jesus' hands and feet, 
but about the wrath, do your sin and my sin, being thrust upon his soul, Jesus' soul. In that holy moment, all the righteous wrath and justice of God do us came rushing down like a torrent on Christ himself. One preacher describes it as if you and I were standing a short hundred yards away from a dam of water 10,000 miles high and 10,000 miles wide. All of a sudden, that dam was breached, and a torrential flood of water came crashing towards you. Right before it reached your feet, the ground in front of you opened up and swallowed it all. At the, cry, at the cross, Christ drank the full cup of the wrath of God. When he, had drowned, when he had downed the last drop, he turned the cup over and cried, It is finished. So when Jesus died on the cross, that was the last thing he shouted out. He said, It is finished. Paid in full. When Jesus, the, the suffering on the cross, was the worst suffering on the cross was not physical. It was spiritual. It was every sin that was ever committed in the history of humanity was weighed on Christ. And the Father, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's wrath was being poured out. Everything that you've ever done, every sin you've ever committed was put on Christ in that moment. And then when he cried out and died, he paid that penalty. So we don't have to live in shame any, any longer. Amen? Okay, that is amazing news. That is the best news that I've ever heard in my life, is I can be free from the sin that I've committed. I've committed so many sins in my life. And Jesus paid the penalty that I deserve. He took the wrath that I deserved. The message of Jesus is not condemnation. The message of Jesus is grace. And when you understand God's wrath, you can understand God's grace. Because Jesus loves you so much that he took the wrath of God on your behalf. So the death of Jesus on the cross provides us forgiveness. And it provides us a motivation to obey God. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And there, there's a, that's a typo, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. So on your little handout, 1 John 2. So what does that mean? Simply put, if you have been truly saved, you will have a new desire to obey God. You will obey God. Check out verse 5. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Whoa. I didn't say that. That's heavy. So let me clarify. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Let me clarify this. He's, not, he's making a general statement about someone that's in ongoing rebellion against God. He's not talking about a genuine Christian that struggles. Okay, but this is something, this is the kind of verse that if you are not genuinely trying to follow Christ, that should concern you. Okay, Francis Chan explains this concept a little deeper, so let's hit the lights. I've heard so many testimonies in churches where people will say, well, my accountability partner stopped calling me, so I fell back into my sin. 
well, the pastor, he doesn't preach against sin enough, so I just kind of fell back into sin. Well, my small group kind of disbanded, so I fell back into my sin. And I'm going, how can you do that? Like, it, it's not all these external, these external things are great, they're helpful, they're commanded. But at the core of our being is this DNA called the Spirit of God that's in us that won't let us go in that direction. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. It's the one who, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let people say, oh, because you prayed this prayer, because you got baptized, because of this. He says, no, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is. That's the sign that the Holy Spirit is in you. You can't keep going back to your sin. Then he makes that statement, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning since the beginning. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now you may be thinking right now, Francis, what are you saying? Are you saying that if I'm just practicing sin and I can continue in my sin or I have hatred toward my brother, that I'm actually a follower of the devil? Of course not. I'm not saying that. But the Bible is. Okay? And you have to do something about that. You've got to grapple. Read this passage for yourself. This isn't Francis's opinion. This is the word of God that goes high above my opinion. But you, you may have friends that go, but my mom told me that even though I'm in sin, you know, it just, just, you know I'm just backsliding a little. That's great. That's great. And if you were judged by your mom at the end of your life, it'll work out wonderfully. But this is God and his word is saying, look, when my seed enters, my Holy Spirit enters into you, you can't just go back to your sin. That proves that you're a child of the devil. This is the passage he was quoting. It's in 1 John 3, 8. Um, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus wants to destroy the sin in your life. He wants to change you. When you become a Christian, you switch jerseys, okay? Before you were a Christian, you were on Team Satan, okay? And you're not on purpose, but, but that's just by default. And when you become a Christian, you put on Team Jesus, okay? <laughs> and, and unrepentant sin, just willing sin, is like sh making goals on the wrong basket. You're just living completely out of your nature, out of who God made you to be. And Jesus changes people. That's what he does. When Jesus comes into a life in reality, he changes your life. That's just the truth. To call yourself a Christian and to go around in open rebellion against God is not fooling anyone but yourself. 
Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. That is the most terrifying words you could hear from Jesus. So I want to ask you a really simple question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus tonight in this room? I'm not asking, did you pray a prayer? I'm not asking, did you grow up in church? I'm asking, do you know Jesus? And you want to know how if you know Jesus, how to know if you know Jesus? It's that you follow Jesus. The way to know that you know Jesus is to follow Jesus. David Platt, another great um, pastor guy I like, has another video for us. He'll explain more. Everything would be different in these men's lives because of this encounter with Jesus. Everything. Which is why we know that people who profess to be Christians but whose lives look just like the rest of the world are deceived. All kinds of people who supposedly made a decision, prayed a prayer, signed a card, walked an aisle, accepted Jesus into their hearts, but their lives don't look any different. They say they're a Christian, but the reality is they don't know this Christ. Because when you know this Christ, everything begins to change in your life. I heard one preacher put it this way. Imagine, imagine I got here uh, late this morning. Imagine these guys finished leading us in musical worship and then a little video or whatever came on my face, but it was just blank stage and five, 10, 15 minutes go by. You're sitting there and it's, it's awkward. And then all of a sudden I come running out on stage and I say, I'm sorry I'm here late. I was, uh, I was, I was kind of out of breath. I was coming over here today, driving over here on the interstate and I had a flat tire and got out and uh, fixed the flat tire. But I accidentally stepped out into the middle of the interstate and this, this Mack truck hit me going head on and it hurt. But, but I got up and uh, finished fixing the tire and got back in the car and drove, so I apologize for being late. Now, if this was the story I, would, I, would tell, I told you, then you would, you would know one of two things. Either, number one, I'm lying, or number two, I am very deceived. And you know that because when somebody gets hit by a Mack truck, they, lo they look different than they did before. <laughs> Based on that reality, I'm pretty sure I'm on safe ground in saying that when a person comes face to face with God in the flesh, the Savior, King, and Sovereign Lord, and He reaches down into your heart and saves you from the clutches of sin and self, you're going to look different. You're going to look really different. Everything changes when you follow this King.
Matthew 7, 16 through 20. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So it's not our job as Christians to go around judging other people whether they're saved or not. So just clarify that. It's not my job. But it is a reality that if someone is not following Jesus, they have no biblical basis to be sure of their salvation. Because to follow Jesus means to bear fruit. And it's not about perfection. Remember, what is it about? It's about direction. It's about the way that you're going. It's, and so none of us are perfect, trust me. And, but it has to be a real faith. You can't fool anyone, okay? You, I mean, you can fool some people. <laughs> you can fool some people. But you can't fool God. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this, sometimes this passage is just thrown out there. Just, hey, just say Jesus is Lord and you're good. But in those times when Paul was writing to the Romans, to say Jesus is Lord literally meant that you were putting your life on the line. It says Jesus, with, Jesus is Lord with your mouth. To say it out loud. And people that were at that time that were saying Jesus is Lord were getting thrown to the lions, getting ripped to shreds. So to say Jesus is Lord is not just a casual, yeah, sure, why not? I'm not Buddhist, so yeah, sign me up. It's, it's about saying Jesus is worth giving my whole life for. Lord means boss, king, CEO, president. He's, he's, when you become a Christian, you are under new management. You, you are no longer your own. You are bought at a price. God bought you, and you get to serve him and love him, and it's the greatest privilege of life to follow the king, Jesus. But it is a real commitment. It's not just a, a casual prayer that you pray and then you go on with your life. It is a decision to follow the king, Jesus. So here's, if you want to study this more, don't take my word for it. Study the Bible. Study First John. And here's a few good books I'd recommend. Uh, and podcast, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, The Unsaved Christian, and another book, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. These are all great books and resources, but also the one book is the Bible. <laughs> to, to get into, study, dig in, make sure what I'm saying is really true, okay? And, and learn that. The next thing I see in this passage is love for Jesus always inspires love for others. If you love Jesus, you will love other people. This is what John's saying in this passage in 1 John. He's saying, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This, I'm going to put this really simply. Being a Christian and holding a grudge don't go together. Being a Christian and having beef with someone else doesn't go together. You can't do it. Because, why? Because you've been forgiven by Christ. 
If you've been forgiven by Christ, you have to forgive others. You will forgive others. You, if you really grasp how much Christ has forgiven you, you will just choose to forgive others. And it's not always easy because some of us, including me, have been hurt deeply by others. But Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said this, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Whew, that's a heavy thing to pray. There's a word in there. Is that on your handout? There's a word, as. <laughs> as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. That is a heavy thing to pray. Forgive me in the same way that I forgive others. Whew. Holding on to bitterness may be, if you have a lot of tension, a lot of bitterness, that may be another fruit to show that you may not have a real relationship with Christ. If you just constantly have bitterness, constantly have fighting, forgiveness is a supernatural work of God that can only be done by God's spirit. Now, it doesn't mean we don't struggle with bitterness. I've struggled with bitterness. Actually, even as I was writing this, there was someone that hurt me years ago that I had to, I realized as I was writing this message that I still was holding on to a little bit of bitterness. And so I had to do business with God. God, help me to love this person. Help me to forgive this person by faith. So there's some people that have hurt you so deeply, you have to repeatedly forgive them. And for bitterness only hurts yourself, okay? It doesn't hurt the person you're bitter at. And, and so we want to love people. The way, the way it's showing that you love God is if you love people. Now, okay, that does not mean that you have to be best buds with every person, obviously. There's some people that you can forgive in your heart, and, but it would just be unwise to even talk to them again. Um, there's others, a lot of us in the community, in the Christian community, we need to fight for unity. We need to, we need to not fight each other. <laughs> we need to fight to be united and to love one another as Christ loves us. So maybe this is something, this, this bitterness, there's something that's holding back most people from truly, fully following Christ. And Jesus said in Luke 14, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you, everything, you cannot be my disciple. Everything. Last time I checked, that was pretty all-inclusive, okay? Everything. Here's a question for you. Is there anything that you are not willing to give to Jesus? That's a good question to ask. Here's another question. Are you ready to surrender your whole life to follow Jesus? Now, this doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you understand it all. But I want you to write down two words. This is how you come to Christ. Turn. First one is turn. You turn from your sin. You turn from your self-made life. You turn from everything. This is called repentance. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, Now I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Turn from leading your own life. And then the next word is trust. Put your trust completely in God. Put your trust in completely in what Jesus did on the cross for you. He died for you. Trust that he is your only hope. He is the only way that you're going to get to go to heaven. And then trust him to lead you and to guide you every day. My dad, when he became a Christian, he came to a meeting like this. He was a hardcore atheist. And he came to a meeting like this. He heard a testimony like Evan's. Let's give it a hand for Evan. That was an awesome testimony. And he came up to the speaker after, and the speaker talked to him. He was nice enough. answered a couple questions, but gave him this tiny little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws that explained basically the gospel to him. 
And he went home and he sat on his bed and he read that gospel booklet about what Jesus had done for him on the cross. And he read it like seven times straight. And he still had, didn't know beans about the Bible or Christianity. But, but he thought, if this is real, then this is the best thing that I've ever heard. And with his doubts, with his addiction to drugs, with his, all the things that he had in his life, he gave his life to Christ in that moment. And now he's planted over 10 churches. He's discipled me. He is, he is like one of the people that I know of alive on the planet that has made the biggest impact for Christ. But it started with a broken, imperfect, doubting person. So I just don't, I want to come on so strong that it doesn't say, Christ says, you don't have to clean up yourself and then come to me. You come to me and I will clean you up. Okay, you don't have to have all your questions answered to come to me. Come to me and I will show you I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. If you have questions, Jesus is the answer and he has the answers for you. So here's a, a sample prayer of the kind of thing you could pray to God. It says, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising from the dead. I want to turn from all my sins and I trust you for salvation. Change my heart and make me new. Help me walk in love for you and others. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a prayer that I want to encourage you to pray. Is it on your handout? I want to encourage you to think through, is this a prayer that you need to pray? If you've never truly given your life to Christ, this prayer is for you. And if you need to recommit your life to Christ, we're going to take the next about 30 seconds. I'm going to invite the band to come on up, and we're just going to be silent. I know silence is awkward, but just spend some time. Just close your eyes. Look at the paper. Pray what you, whatever you feel led to pray to God. And let me just encourage you. Give your life to Christ. He will never let you down. So let's just take a few moments to do that. And then I'll close us in prayer after that. Father, you know each of our hearts. You know where we're at. And this whole thing we're trying to do at Challenge, we don't want it to be a show. We want it to be an encounter with you. And we, we know that we're broken, we're insecure, we're, we're full of all sorts of sin. And so I pray that every person in here would come one step closer to you. Those, I would pray that there would be some people in here tonight, they would put a stake in the ground. I am following Jesus in reality that they would commit themselves to you. And then they would, they would show that, bear fruit. They would, they would show that with their life, that they were going to walk with you and follow you. And I pray that those, even those that, that know you already, that we're already Christians, Lord, I pray that we would live up to the calling that you've given us. We would, we would follow you not out of guilt, but out of grace, out of gratitude for what you've done. So help us to walk away from this night just understanding how much you love us, and how much you want us to live free from our sin and loving others and united together. And so I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.